Um, I'm going to start by asking you a question that um, a few people in this room might find a bit weird. Um, and I'm going to ask you, Matthew, how many cubic feet are in a shipping container? Um, <laughs> uh, well, it depends what size, but the ones that we send is usually about, well, there is two, about 2,400 cubic feet. Yeah. And I looked that up mm. just before the service started, and I think that's exactly right. So, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Which is a bit amazing. Um, so my memories of Moldova going over, um, I remember that when we arrived, we were painting shipping containers. Mm. The next day, we would be uh, fireproofing uh, shipping yeah. containers, and then at the end of a long day, we'd be sleeping in shipping containers. <laughs> um, so can you tell us a bit about where this love affair with shipping containers came from and uh, <laughs> your story right up to arriving in Moldova? Well, um, I don't know if we... To describe it as a love affair of shipping containers, um, but I think uh, obviously we send a lot of stuff into Moldova. Uh, it comes in shipping containers. Um, when, when we started receiving these, we realised that um, you know, they're a great way to get things to Moldova, but also very useful to use when they got to Moldova. And uh, one of the problems in countries like Moldova, it's actually everywhere in the world, uh, a lot of bureaucracy, especially when you want to build a building. Um, but we found out that under the law, if you set up a shipping container and convert it into accommodation, for example, it's considered a portable building, so we don't need any documentation for it. Um, so that's how the campsite was set up and the accommodation for teams that came. Uh, and it was just a very easy way to quickly have good accommodation, which was suitable for the work here. Yeah. And um, I've uh, heard before the amazing story about how you um, started your um, life in mission. And so could you tell us the story from the very start as a, as a child in Australia? Can you tell us from, yeah. from very briefly, but from, uh, from a child okay. in Australia um, right up to when you arrived in Moldova? How long do we have, did you say? <laughs> um, well, I, I, went, I was born in Sydney, uh, in Australia. Um, I know there's two Sydneys, that's why I always say that, but Sydney, Australia. Uh, I um, went to a Christian school uh, in Sydney, and uh, when I was in about year seven, um, I was, got to know one of the bus drivers who used to drive the bus to and from the station, and uh, he was um, particularly interested in Christians who were persecuted in what was then the Soviet Union. And uh, he started to tell me a lot about, you know, some of their stories and how they were in prison and how some had even been killed, you know, because of their faith. And, uh, and then, uh, you know, after talking about this over a period of time, he came and said, look, would you be interested to uh, write letters to some of these people? And, I, you know, not knowing much about it, I said, yes, I'd love to do that. And so he came the next day with a um, piece of paper with some phrases in Russian, Bible verses and little things like we're praying for you. And he said, look, just copy these onto a postcard, copy the address, send it off. He said, probably they won't receive it, but the authorities will know that Christians around the world know about situation that they're in. And so I started to do this. Um, and then just a few years later, the Soviet Union collapsed. And uh, one of the men who I had written to uh, wrote back, he'd got out of prison, he'd been in prison for 24 years for his faith, and he said, I've just got back to the church um, that I left many years ago in Odessa. He said, I'm so encouraged because uh, there's about 200 Christians still meeting there, and he said, um, one of the things that we need is Bibles and literature, and could you please send us Bibles and literature? 
Um, so I was able to find in Sydney some Bibles in Russian and Ukrainian, uh, sent them to this man, and he received them, which was great. And of course, he wrote back and said, you know, thank you very much. Um, but there's one problem, we need more. Can you send more? Uh, so I got some more and sent, and sort of just, that's how I got involved in the work. It, just more and more requested from him, but he also shared the address, and other people started to write him. Yeah. Brilliant. It's an amazing, amazing story. I never grew tired of hearing it. Um, but could you tell us, so then, that journey led you to Moldova. Um, yep. And can you tell us a bit about how you were able to establish um, mm -hmm. the work in Moldova over yeah. the last um, decade or so? Yeah, so in 1996, uh, I made the first trip across to Eastern Europe, um, visited this man who I'd written to and who had asked for the Bibles, and um, we got to know him quite well. But also had the opportunity to visit uh, Christians in Romania, which of course was not part of the Soviet Union, but one of the former communist countries, and got to know some uh, people there very well also. And through that, we started a work uh, in Romania, sending containers, and uh, from there, started visiting Moldova. And one of the things that we noticed in Moldova, out of all of the countries in that area, it was a place where very little work was going on. And uh, we just, just really felt the Lord was calling us to go to Moldova, initially for visits, and I did that for many years. And then in 2009, um, the Lord opened up the way that we could be there permanently and uh, provided a, a place which we now call the CMI base where you stayed and then later the Bethesda Centre which we have. Um, and yeah, we just saw that you know, there were so many opportunities and so much need and just felt the Lord was calling us to be there and that's, that's how we came to be there. Yeah. Brilliant, brilliant. And um, a lot of people in this room have for the last year, year and a half have been glued to the news, um, yeah. watching the, um, the, the crisis in Ukraine uh, and the war in Ukraine there and the effects that it's had um, on Ukrainians uh, within the country and those that have left the country. Mm. And can you tell us a bit about the um, threats or the opportunities, the, the opportunities and the challenges that that mm -hmm. creates um, for you guys? Yeah, um, of course, obviously, immediately after the conflict began, um, there was a huge influx of refugees. So. Um, yeah, Moldova is a, is a small country, as I'll show in a moment on the map. Um, it has a population of about three million people. And within six weeks of the conflict beginning, uh, 600,000 refugees had come to Moldova. So, you know, if you just think of that logistically, three million people, 600,000 coming, it caused huge uh, need, of course. It was how to house people. I mean, some, of course, passed through and went to other places. So, you know, there was tremendous challenges, I think, for the country as a whole that way. Uh, and, of course, for the church, because, you know, they were very much involved. I mean, I'm talking the church generally in Moldova in helping. Um, from our perspective, um, a lot came to our area for a period of time, and we were able to house some of them. Of course, we were able to feed uh, a lot that were staying in the region. And which was which great, but uh, I think you know what was the wonderful side of it, and I'll share a little bit more about this in a moment. Is God through that opens so many doors, you know, to not only provide practical help to these refugees, but to be able to share the gospel with them as well. And the circumstances clearly had softened hearts, you know, and we see that in Ukraine today. We still ship a lot of aid into Ukraine. Um, 
we have a team working there and it's wonderful to see, you know, you go to a little village and if you had gone there pre the war, you know, we found uh, Ukraine had become very hardened in many ways to the gospel. But you go into a village now and you say, look, we, we've come, we want to share some good news. And you're, you know, in a moment of time, you'll have two or 300 people gathered and ready to listen to the message. So God is using this terrible conflict. Uh, and, you know, eternally the results will all know in eternity. Yeah, yeah. It's brilliant to hear all that. Thank you. Thank you for uh, telling us a bit mm. about your background and the, the plan that God has had for your life and for CMI in general. And uh, we look forward to hearing uh, what you have to say to us later. So thank, thank you very much, Matthew. Thank you very much. Well, thank you very much for the uh, warm welcome. It's a real pleasure uh, to be here with you today and have the opportunity to uh, share a little bit about the work that the Lord is uh, doing in Moldova um, before I do that, though, I just wanted to read, if I could, uh, a couple of verses from the Gospel of John, three verses from the Gospel of John, chapter 12. And uh, these verses I um, often share, I say they're probably my favorite uh, verses in this Gospel. So I'm going to read Gospel of John, chapter 12, and verses 1, 2, and 3. And it says, uh, Then six days before the Passover... Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus was who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead. There they made him a supper, and Martha served, but Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil." Well, may the Lord bless his word to us uh, this morning. Uh, yes, thank you uh, very much for opportunity to be able to be with you. Um, a few weeks ago, I wasn't even sure if I'd be able to be here, so it's a real, a real blessing uh, to have this opportunity. And I'd just like to say at the very beginning, uh, thank you so much for so many uh, who have prayed uh, for me uh, during this time and prayed for my family during this time that I've been unwell. And... Um, just to say that we've really seen uh, the Lord answer prayers in so many different ways and uh, also um, appreciated so much the uh, encouragement and the messages from so many people. So uh, thank you for praying at the moment. Uh, I'm not having any further treatment. They don't think it's necessary at this stage, but uh, would appreciate your prayers, of course, uh, for um, the ongoing uh, dealing with this, this problem. But anyway, thank you so much for praying. Um, Moldova, uh, many of you probably know a little bit about this country. It's been in the news a bit more recently because of uh, the situation in Ukraine. You can see the flag of Moldova there. Uh, it's a little country which is sort of sandwiched between Romania and Ukraine. And up until 1991, it was part of the Soviet Union. Um, it's a very small country, as I said in the uh, questions that uh, Ruben was asking. It's um, a country which is also considered to be the poorest country in Europe. So along with, of course, great spiritual need, which we see everywhere, uh, also we see a lot, of, uh, spiritual, a lot of physical need as well. And I just put at the beginning of the presentation today a few photos of some of the homes of people that we have the opportunity to visit. This is uh, in a village close to where we live, and you can see there, very typical mud brick house. Um, as you can imagine, for people in the winter, it's very difficult to survive in conditions like you see in these pictures. 
but uh, many people uh, live in circumstances like this in the villages in Moldova. And so when we first went to Moldova, you know, a lot of the work that we were involved in was uh, practical projects to help some of these people in their physical need. And sometimes that would be for people with different disabilities or handicaps, as you see in the picture here, um, perhaps providing wheelchairs or beds, uh, certainly providing clothing or medical needs that they had. And now, of course, we also have what we call the soup kitchen work, uh, where we go out, a team goes out every day and provides uh, for these people a hot meal in their home. And that's for elderly people, for people with physical uh, problems, and also, of course, for needy uh, children and families as well, as you see here uh, in this picture. But, of course, the main purpose that we feel that the Lord has us in Moldova is to reach out with the uh, wonderful good news of the gospel. And, you know, what I love to share about Moldova is that it's a country which today is wide open. The doors are wide open for the gospel, and not only among children, but in so many different parts of the community. And I just wanted to share about some of that openness today. Uh, next week, um, we start our camps, and this is something that we've been doing now for about seven years in Moldova. And we have uh, children's camps. Uh, it's a very common thing, of course, um, throughout the world for Christian children's camps. But in many places, it's becoming more and more difficult to do them. But it's lovely to see in Moldova that with the support of the Ministry of Education, uh, they're actually promoting this and they want children to come along uh, to the children's camps. And you can see a few photos here of the camps that were held at the CMI base uh, last year. And so we'd really appreciate prayers for these camps. We're expecting about 900 children to come over the five-week period that the camps run, maybe a few more. Um, and if you could pray for all those children who come and hear the good news of the gospel. And our theme for this year is the, uh, the mighty jungle. And you can see the logo for the camp there. And the idea is to um, share some of the, uh, uh, I don't know, some of you may be familiar with the jungle doctor stories by Dr. Paul White that were written many years ago. And we're going to use these as the basis of the four lessons that the children hear uh, at the camps uh, during the time that they're with us over four days. But also uh, associated with the camps, you know, one of the real prayer needs is not just for the children who hear the gospel, but so often it's through the children that the parents hear the good news as well. And about five years ago, we started something uh, we call Parents' Evening on Friday night, which is the last night of each camp. And we send the buses back to the village where the children come from. We invite as many parents as would like to come to come along uh, to the parents' evening. And usually lots and lots come, which is really wonderful to see. And we're able to uh, share a gospel message with them. We give them a meal. We give them literature and have the opportunity uh, to interact with them and to get to know them a little bit better. And also uh, we trust through that that uh, they'll open their hearts to the Lord Jesus. So if you could pray for that outreach, not just to the children, but to the parents as well. Also for uh, some of the other activities like the Village Bible Clubs. So this is something that we do in many of the schools uh, in our area. And that is to go and have a Bible club each week. And it's really great that the schools are very supportive of this. And uh, children, of course, are very open to come. And you can see uh, Ruth, my wife, there in one of the clubs in uh, one of the, the villages. But, uh, you yeah, know, I said, you know, Moldova is a place open for the gospel. 
And I just wanted to share a little story associated with this man that you see here in this picture. Um, this man, his name is Valeru. Uh, maybe if you um, are someone who likes to pray for people, you could pray for this man, Valeru, because he is the director of education from the government for the southern part of Moldova. And we really thank the Lord for this man because God has used him to open so many opportunities among children for gospel outreach. And this picture here that you see, the next photo on the screen, was taken in May 2019. And in the lead up to this picture being taken, we had a, a call from Valera and he said to us, uh, you know, I've heard that uh, you've been doing work with some of the children from my schools and been taking them through a presentation at your building. He said, I would like uh, to come and see what you're presenting to the children. Now, when we heard this, we were a little bit apprehensive. We didn't know whether he would be for it or be against it or what he wanted, what his purpose was. But we said, sure, you know, you come along and we'll uh, show the presentation. At that time, we were uh, doing a presentation called Amazing Grace for the children. And so uh, he came. Uh, but before he came, he called again and he said, look, I've been thinking uh, about coming. Uh, and as I was thinking about the date you've given me, I realized that I could also bring all the directors from the 52 schools in my jurisdiction to come and see the presentation as well. I'd like, to, like them to see it also. Would that be okay? And so this was the day that they came, 52 directors from the schools, along with Valeri, the, the director of education, and some other officials as well. We took them through to see the Amazing Grace presentation, and uh, we were sort of looking, you know, trying to judge what sort of response there would be from this man. Then we took them to the Sydney Cafe, which we have in the uh, ground floor of, of the centre, and we sat down, we had coffee and tea and cake with them, and Valeria got up and he said to the directors from the schools, he said, look, we need this message for our children. He said, I want to encourage you to register your schools to come at Christmas, that's when we were doing the presentation at that time, and for the children to go through, through rather, and hear about the Bible. And it was such an encouragement to have this endorsement from the education department and to see their openness for the children to come and to hear the message of the gospel. But of course, this created some challenges for us because up until that time, each year we'd have between two and 3,000 children coming through seeing this gospel presentation that we were doing in the building. But in these schools where these 52 directors came from, there was about 9,500 children. And they all wanted to come through. And so um, we had to sort of rethink how we do it. And that's when we changed it and started doing the gospel presentation throughout the whole year. And it's been wonderful to see lots of children coming through and uh, hearing the message of the gospel. So please pray for that outreach. And I'll tell you more about what's currently happening with that in a moment. But also, um, again, back to this man, Valeru, uh, just after COVID, we had another call from him, and always we're curious, you know, what he wants when he says, I'm coming to see you. And he came this particular day with a lady who was the vice president of the region of Kahul. And he said, uh, we've been having some meetings in our, uh, our regional council, and we've been talking about the problems in our society. And he said, we've been thinking about how um, you know, there's problems with drugs, there's problems with alcohol. He said there's problems in families, there's broken families. And he said, we've been asking ourselves the question, what have we been doing wrong? What have we left out? 
And he said, as we were discussing this within the government, he said, I thought back to some of the conversations that we've have, we'd had in the past. And he said, I realized, and I said to my colleagues there, he said, I think the problem is that we are not teaching our children in the schools about the Bible anymore. We're not teaching them about God. And we've left God out of our education system. And he said, I was wondering, and the reason we've come today is whether we could have a meeting in about a month's time, and this photo here is actually of the meeting that was held a month after that he said this, to discuss how we can reintroduce the Bible back into the schools here in Moldova. And we were just so overjoyed, delighted to see how God was working in the heart of this man and how he'd made him aware of what the need was there in that community. And this meeting was a very profitable time where we discussed so many different ways and many of them have been, many of them have been able to be implemented of how to start teaching the children about the Bible in Moldova. So God is working in that country. There's open doors, so please pray uh, for that little place, uh, little country there between Ukraine and uh, Romania. We just really feel so privileged that God has given us the opportunity to be there at this time and to be involved in the work that he is doing. So at the moment we are pr uh, presenting to the children a, a, a play called Child of the King. This is the gospel presentation. It's actually based on the life of George Mueller. Uh, so we change it every year. Um, why we chose the life of George Mueller is because we wanted to demonstrate, to show to the children that God is real. God answers prayer. God can transform people's lives. And so they go through the presentation, see different rooms. They learn about a, a young man called Will. If you know the story of George Mueller, you've probably heard of Will. Will was one of the orphans that he found under a bridge. He came into the orphanage. He lived there. He heard the gospel. Uh, finally, after a period of time, Will came to know the Lord Jesus as his saviour and went out to be a missionary, I think in New Zealand or some faraway place like that, Australia. Um, so uh, this was uh, where, um, what happened to Will, and so we tell these stories to the children in the different rooms that they go through. And the last story that we tell is the one that you see up on the screen. It's a lovely story of faith, because this was um, set, uh, a true story after George Mueller had finished his work with the orphans and someone else had taken it on, and he was going around the world and he was preaching the gospel, and he came to Canada on a ship, and uh, he needed to be in a certain place at a certain time to, for a gospel meeting, and there was fog. I don't know, some of you may know the story. And he said to the captain, I have to be here, and the captain said, you'll never get there because this fog has set in. We'll be here for days. And George Mueller said, well, let's see what God can do. He said, I'm going to pray. And so George Mueller prayed and asked God to clear away the fog, and then the captain uh, prayed or started to pray as well and George Mueller said to him don't pray of course as you can imagine the captain was a little bit shocked by this and he said why not and he said well two reasons one I believe God's already answered the prayer secondly you don't believe God will answer the prayer they went up on deck the fog was gone and he got to the place where he had to be and so the idea and this is the last story that they hear is that God is there, God answers prayer. And it's lovely to see, you know, the children uh, surprised by this story, you know, when, when it's presented to them. But anyway, these are a few photos from the presentation and a few photos of the children as they go through. 
And, uh, you know, one of the things that uh, Valeria Baban said to us when he had that meeting is, you know, it's great to work with the children to teach them the Bible, but the teachers need to know the Bible as well. And he said, can you do something for the teachers? And so in March this year, one of the things, just as an example, we were able to have a dinner for uh, school teachers. We had it at the base. Uh, we had a team from Ireland actually come in Canada and they decided to put on an Irish banquet for um, the school teachers. You can see Matt from um, Dublin there in the chef's outfit. He was a chef who cooked for the, t for the teachers and some of the other team. Man on the, on the right is the uh, president of our region. And then Brother Sergei from Russia came. He was able to share his testimony, share the gospel with these teachers. You can see them there. And so it was just a lovely opportunity the Lord gave to um, reach out and to share the gospel with these teachers. And as a result of this, some Bible studies have started with some groups of teachers. So yeah, please, please pray, you know, for the work there and these opportunities that God has given. And also through other things like the fire service, I'm going to move quickly. Um, you know, this was an unusual area that we got involved in very early on in Moldova. We didn't plan to start a fire service, but one way or another, the Lord opened this unusual door. And, you know, we're just amazed how God has used this, uh, you know, for us to be able to help practically in the community, but to open doors for the gospel. And you can see here um, some of the fires that we've been to and fire trucks and children gathered around. But through this, you know, contacts have been made in the government. We've been able to go to fire stations right throughout the country to distribute literature. You can see there the gospel calendar. We prepare for every firefighter in the country and the cups we gave them last Christmas. This is in a fire station in uh, Kahul, uh, sorry, in Kishino in the capital. Firefighters with their literature bags and gifts. So it's just lovely that um, through this, uh, doors have opened for the gospel and more recently to the police as well. And this was the police calendar that was printed for, um, for the first time last year for police officers in uh, Moldova. Uh, just uh, very briefly before I talk about Ukraine, and then just look at this passage. Um, Christmas festival is something now we hold every year uh, outside the Bethesda Centre, and I just mentioned this. Uh, you'll see a brochure up the back, um, Can the Lord Use You? We were so glad to have a, a small team from here uh, uh, last year come and visit. Um, we always need volunteers, we always need helpers for things like the Christmas festival. I see lots of potential people here. Um, if, you know, a team is interested to come, or even individuals, it's, a, you know, really valuable help can be given in the work. And so there is some literature, there's some um, coffee mugs, there's some pens, there's some bags to put it all in. So please take some literature if you'd like to, and if you'd like to get the prayer bulletin and some of the other uh, information, we can, you can put your name down as well, and we'd be happy to send that to you. But yeah, the festival is just a way of making contact with people in the community. Um, we have it, as I said, in December. It's from the beginning of December till just up until Christmas. And it's open to anybody who wants to come. And there's three what we call gospel touch points. And this is the important part. It's three tents where people, the children, have to go if they're going to get their gift, their free gift, and all children love a free gift when they leave. And the first one last year, we had a boy, a young man, Alin, presenting uh, the gospel with um, balloons. Uh, then we had another tent where there was gospel stories presented through, you know, with mannequins and so on. 
and a guide took them through and explained these stories. And then there was a third tent where there was a presentation with um, chemicals where the red was turned to white, speaking it's only the blood of the Lord Jesus that can take away sin. So, of course, the children all wanted to go there to get their stamps so they could get their gift, and then the parents would go as well. And it was amazing, you know, to see um, what conversations came out, you know, of those touch points. And then we'd be able to send them to the literature tent, the parents, where they could take Bibles and gospel literature and calendars. And you can see some of the children who came through, some of the families. It's really aimed to be a family event. We want the whole family to come. And we were so encouraged that last year in December, about 9,500 people from the community came during the month of December. And, you know, it's great to see a number like that coming. And that's why, of course, we need lots of volunteers to come and help practically in different ways. Uh, the Ukraine conflict, um, Moldova is very close to Ukraine. Where we are, uh, and don't let this put you off coming, by the way, but we're about 40 kilometres is the closest border, border to Ukraine from where we are based. But look, it's very quiet, very peaceful. There's no need to be afraid in any way if you come to visit and you'll find that when you're there. But the Lord has given a lot of opportunities to have contact with refugees throughout the country. This was one of the very early photos, um, just a few days after the conflict started, some of the refugees in Kahul, where we were delivering meals with Lucy, one of the workers. And now most of the work uh, in Moldova is through uh, what we call drop-in centres, places where refugees can come and they can get practical help. And you can see here some of them getting clothing, food, sanitary items, literature, toys for the children. And these are spread throughout the country. And so we're very, very thankful for the support that enables that help still to be given to many Ukrainian refugees. But as I shared uh, in the beginning, in the questions, you know, one of the wonderful things that we've seen happen in Ukraine, uh, and we have the opportunity to work with Petra and the team there distributing aid, another load was taken in, about 20 tonnes of food just last week, is the openness that there is now to the gospel. And you can see here a gospel meeting just being held in someone's backyard or front yard in a village in Ukraine where help was being given. And to see people coming to know the Lord Jesus as their saviour. So God is working through this terrible conflict. God is using it for his glory, saving souls in that country of Ukraine. So pray, you know, that uh, even in this conflict, that many, many more will come to know the Lord Jesus. And I want to close before I speak just very briefly on these verses with a testimony. This is a very precious um, photo, I believe, because you see here in the middle, brother Sergei, who works with us, and he's from Russia. The two girls are from Ukraine. So you don't often see photos like this in the news. Uh, these two girls came from uh, Odessa region. They come from Odessa region. They came to stay with us with their mother and brother just a few weeks um, after the conflict started. And they were with us for a long time. When, we, when they came, they were very indifferent to the gospel, not interested at all. They didn't want to hear. And then in, July, uh, sorry, in May, um, Diana, another girl from Russia who's been with us now for about seven years, um, she was running a girls' club for girls in the village. And she said to these two girls, would you like to come to the girls' club? And by this time, you know, they didn't have much to do. They were fairly bored. And they said, yeah, okay, we'll come along. Why not, you know? They came, they went, 
and someone was uh, sharing a little message. One of the girls was sharing a message with the girls and they were talking about the Bible. And after these two girls said, can you give us a Bible? We would like to read the Bible for ourselves. So they were both given a Russian Bible and uh, they started to read, they started to ask questions and they started to come to the services on Sunday. And then uh, in June, we said to them, early June, we said, well, we've got to, uh, we're going to have a, in a few weeks a camp for Ukrainian children, and we, you know, you'd like you to get you involved in the camp, but uh, we just want you to know that the team who will be running the camp is actually a team from Russia, because not a lot of our workers speak um, Russian, so we're going to bring this team from Russia to run the camp for the Ukrainians. And they were a little bit shocked, you know, by this concept. But anyway, uh, they were a bit uh, fearful when the Russians arrived, but Sergei went over and he started to talk to them, and he shared his testimony of how he'd come to know the Lord Jesus, and then he started to invite these girls to study the Bible with him. And this was uh, the day, 20, 20th of June, when they came out one morning and they said uh, to us, we want to share some news with you. And we said, what is it? They said, last night in our room, we both knelt down and accepted the Lord Jesus as our saviour. And we were so delighted, you know, to see how God had brought these girls and how God had worked in their life and how he'd saved their soul, souls. And just at that time, Sergei had about a week left before he was going back to Russia. And they said, we'd like to be baptised. And we said, well, you know, do you understand what baptism is? And, you know, we were so amazed how quickly they, learnt, they had learnt about the Bible. And they explained what baptism meant and said, we want to testify to what God has done to those around and show it in you know we know it doesn't save us we're saved by the blood of Christ but and so on and we said who would you like to baptize you and they said our father and we said but your father's in Ukraine he's not a Christian oh no our spiritual father and they were thinking of course of the story of Timothy and Paul who Paul could call his son in the Lord and so Sergei was able to baptize these two girls before he went back to Russia you know, as we uh, spoke after the baptism, they said this, or one of them said this, we thank the Lord for this conflict. Not for the suffering, of course, and the tragedy and the death and destruction, but that God used it to bring us here to, to Moldova to hear the good news of the gospel so that he could save us for eternity. They said, what a wonderful God, that he cared so much for us two girls who, in his sight, as they said, are nothing. And yet he brought us here. And in his eternal plans, he brought us here so that we could find eternal life in the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, as I think of that, I think of this beautiful uh, passage that we read in the Gospel of John, because um, verse, 12, uh, verse 1 of chapter 12 is a testimony as well, isn't it? A testimony of a man called Lazarus. Of course, in the previous chapter, we read the full story of why this testimony is here, because Lazarus had been very sick. Lazarus had died. Lazarus had been in the tomb for three days. And then the Lord had come, and he said, you know, open the tomb. And of course, Martha said, don't you know, but he's been in there three days. The body will be smelling by now. And so the Lord said, open the tomb. And he said those mighty words, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus came out and he was alive. The Lord Jesus gave that dead man life. You know, think of Lazarus in that tomb. He was dead. 
There was nothing that he could do. There was nothing that anybody around him could do to change the situation of that man. It was absolutely, completely, utterly hopeless, wasn't it? Until the Lord Jesus came along. And that, because the Lord Jesus came along, because the Lord uttered those words, we can read this beautiful testimony in chapter 12, verse 1. Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead. How wonderful. You know, and as we think today, brothers and sisters, for those of us who know the Lord Jesus as our Saviour, in the spiritual sense, isn't our testimony just like that testimony of Lazarus? We were dead. The Bible so clearly says that, doesn't it? That we were without hope in this world. We were dead in trespasses and sins. We were separated from God. But God, in his mercy and his grace and his love, as we've remembered this morning, even in the breaking of bread, sent the Lord Jesus Christ into this world. And he could cry on the cross of Calvary, it is finished, so that we can say today, we who were dead have been raised from the dead in the eternal sense, in the spiritual sense, and we have life everlasting because of our wonderful Saviour, the Lord Jesus. Now we can say hallelujah this morning, can't we, as we think of the salvation that we have in the Lord Jesus. And we see him working today, he's worked in our lives, we see him working in the lives of these two girls, in the life of Brother Sergei, in the life of so many in the world today. What he did then, he's doing today. And uh, isn't that something that we can rejoice in? But you know, I just wanted to make a comment very briefly on how the last two, the second two verses go. It says there what was going on after this. You know, I love to look into this little home in Bethany and it says there that they made him a supper and Martha served, but Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him and there was Mary. So there's four people in this story, really. There's the Lord, there's Lazarus, there's Mary, there's Martha. And in verses 2 and 3, we see each of them doing something different. Uh, Martha we see serving and um, this was something we're very familiar with when we think of Martha. We see her in another situation serving the Lord uh, and she got a little bit upset, didn't she? Because Mary was sitting at the feet of the Lord Jesus and she was busy in the kitchen, probably over the hot stove and she said, you know, why doesn't Mary come and help me? And the Lord had to say to Martha that Mary had chosen the better part because she was sitting at the feet of the Lord Jesus and she was learning from him. But you know, here in this situation... I think Martha's heart was very different to that other story. I think Martha was serving the Lord with great joy in her heart. And the cause of that joy was that she had witnessed what the Lord Jesus had done in the life of her, life of her brother Lazarus, just in the previous chapter we read about it, as, as we've spoken. And as she considered the greatness of the Lord, and as she considered the greatness of the power of what he had done for her brother, I'm sure there was so much joy in her heart to give her full heart and full passion into serving the Lord Jesus and preparing a supper for him that day. And you know, as we think about our response as Christians, when we think of that God has given us life, taken us from the dead, we've been born again, as the scripture says, we have life in the Lord Jesus Christ. May it be our joy and our passion and the zeal of our life to give ourselves to the service of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
but not just to give our service because we're told to do it, but to do it with great joy and great happiness because of our love for him. And that's, I think, the example we see here in Martha. But then there is Lazarus, one of those who sat at the table with him. You know, I always used to think about Lazarus. He's not really doing anything, is he, it seems. He was just sitting there at the table with the Lord Jesus. But, you know, we all need, don't we, in our Christian lives to learn sometimes seemingly to do nothing. And what I mean by that is when we think of sitting at a table with somebody, we think of sitting with them and enjoying fellowship with them. And I think that's what Lazarus was doing here in this story. It was a great joy for him to sit in the presence of the one who had given him life. It was a great joy, I'm sure, for him just to be sitting there in admiration, looking, meditating, looking at the face of the one who had raised him from the dead. And, you know, that's something, as I said, we need to do we need to learn to do in our lives too, brothers and sisters, is that's to spend time simply in the presence of the Lord Jesus, enjoying fellowship with him. Because I think unless we learn to be able to do that in our lives, and maybe I'm wrong in this and you can correct me after, but unless we learn to do that in our lives, it's very hard for us to do the step that Martha was doing, and that is to serve the Lord effectively. Because service comes out of fellowship, doesn't it, with the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to be doing what Mary was doing in that other story, sitting at the feet of the Lord, learning from him. Because it's only as we have fellowship with him that we begin to know what he is like. It's only as we have fellowship with, with him, we begin to learn his heart. It's only as fellowship with, with him and we spend time with him that we become like him. And it's only as we become like him that we can effectively serve the Lord. And then the third person is Mary. Uh, Mary took something precious, this oil of spikenard, and she anointed the feet of the Lord Jesus, and she wiped his feet with her hair. I think Mary speaks of worship, doesn't she? She came in. She brought an offering for the Lord, something that had great value, something she'd saved up for, something that she was willing to sacrifice. And she gave it to the Lord Jesus because she said, he's worth it. He's worth it all. And that's what really we do, don't we, when we come together on Sunday. We bring our offerings of praise and worship, those things that we've saved up during the week. And we say, we bring this to you, Lord, because you're worthy of everything. You're worthy of all praise, worthy of all adoration. And that'll be our song throughout eternity. So it's great to start practicing, isn't it, today? So three people, each one, spiritually or literally, dead and brought to life through the Lord Jesus. One served, one enjoyed fellowship, and one brought worship. But we're meant to do all three in our lives as his people. May that be our heart's desire as his people today. Thank you for the opportunity to be with you, uh, and uh, thank you for your prayers, and please continue to pray uh, for the work there in Moldova. Thank you very much.